This is the We Spin Recipes podcast with Andrew Apanov. Hello, hello everyone, and uh, this is Andrew Apanov and the second issue of the We Spin Recipes podcast. And uh, today I've got uh, a booty foot on the show. Did I uh, get your name right? Yeah, close. Booty Vogt. I'm sorry, I, I suck at uh, pronouncing foreign names, unfortunately. So, yeah, uh, sorry for that. Um, yeah, so Buddy is uh, founder of uh, Heroic Management and uh, the record label. So, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, I am Buddy. I'm 22 years old. I'm from the Netherlands. And I run a music company called Heroic with uh, a management side to it and a record label side to it. And we deliver full service um, music management from bookings to management to publishing to running a record label. And besides that, I write about my experiences and recently published a book about SoundCloud. Yes, so you are the author of the SoundCloud Bible, which is uh, very exciting, I think. And uh, just briefly mention what's uh, what's inside. So the SoundCloud Bible is basically uh, an extensive, the most extensive guide that you could read on the subject. So if you if you have absolutely no knowledge about it, you could pick it up and then know how it works. But if you're already a seasoned user, then you can find so many tips and strategies in there that you could really uh, improve your performance on the platform. Yeah, so uh, I have uh, read the book and highly recommend it myself. And uh, okay, so today on this uh, show, we're going to discuss uh, a topic which is uh, very important in my opinion. And basically, we are going to talk about uh, the music industry, but specifically about electronic music industry, because, uh, well, I have noticed and you have probably noticed this uh, as well at some extent that there is uh, a bit of misconception about dance music business and uh, not everyone gets the differences and specifics of uh, of the electronic music uh, industry and uh, of course it's in in many ways uh, the same kind of uh, music business as in other music genres but uh, there are differences and even electronic producers themselves and DJs don't fully get it sometimes so Today we are going to uh, cover some of the topics and specifics of uh, electronic music business. Okay, so uh, let's start probably with uh, uh, the topic of labels and uh, the importance of independent labels, the role of major labels. Do you have something to uh, say about this topic? Um, I, I think it's really interesting how quickly the music industry has been changing. Because uh, if you look at the traditional music industry and you look at dance labels, then these used to be totally different networks. The dance industry was a lot more underground, catering to clubs and not to a broad public, whereas uh, the record, the, the typical record industry had stuff going through to radio and etc. And only recently, now that dance has been breaking through to the mainstream audience, has there been a sort of an overlap between these two sides of the industry because the dance music industry needs to work together with traditional major labels in order to get that reach out to the bigger public. If you look at, for example, uh, Avicii with uh, Levels, then that has been totally promoted on uh, traditional radio stations and to do that they have collaborated with the marketing engines of, of major labels, you know. 
And that is something that was unseen in the past. With all digital innovation, that you could really see that that everything is is shifting towards online. So how how music is distributed is changing drastically. And for for the dance and electronic industry, it means that they're on the forefront of all of these changes. So what you see is even though the target audience and the supply of uh, of dance music and the audience is smaller than what it is for pop. Mm -hmm. um, we're the first to adapt to those changes, which are later being integrated into traditional music industry as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's interesting. And uh, basically, can you tell me and uh, the listeners a bit about the indie labels and about the importance of indie labels a bit more? Because it's, it's slightly different in, in dance music compared to other genres. I think in the dance industry, that the relevance of a label and of artists is not so much determined by the exposure they get on radio, for example, or the size of a marketing budget. It's more about how well they penetrate their niche market and reach um, other artists and labels in that same industry. And to do that, you need to be a lot more focused on your niche, but also it means that you don't necessarily need to be huge. Um, with all the digital innovations going on, independent labels, specifically in dance now, are so empowered to do so. Um, because there's, there's blogs, there's YouTube promoters, you can send out promos to artists in your, in your scene using simple online tools. And with this, it's enough to reach the right people in order to get momentum going to either establish a brand or uh, a career for a specific artist. Mm -hmm. Whereas... I think on the more mainstream level, you really need to get through to radio, get a video clip finance, get plays on that to the extent that you reach the more mainstream audience. And they are typically the people who are not so involved with music as the people who are lovers of underground dance or a specific type of dubstep or whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and just to make it clear that uh, in other genres, genres uh, like non-electronic music, there are, of course, all the niche genres and styles of music so it's uh, also like the some of the principles that you just outlined are also applicable to other non-electronic but uh, niche and non-mainstream genres but uh, it's interesting that in electronic music it's been uh, that way for a couple decades now uh, that there are uh, these niche uh, dedicated like loyal uh, fans of specific genres and uh, small labels that do their own thing in their own genre and it's uh, a, a network that is very well developed and uh, I think it's it's pretty unique and uh, right now more and more people get to know electronic dance music but on the mainstream side and uh, this scene, this uh, something that is commonly called underground electronic music, uh, it's, it's a huge network of uh, genres, of labels, of producers, and not, uh, not everyone still uh, realizes how, how big it is and how... Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, um, yeah. Well, definitely. I think with a lot of crossover tracks that we've had recently, so dance music with catchy vocals, think of Avicii and Zed and that kind of stuff, has been spreading the word about dance music to so many new people who might be getting into the genre based on some commercial stuff. But through their interest, they're able to discover more stuff, and that means you will have a lot more people becoming influenced and fans of the more specific genres in dance music um, 
from the whole trend of it, it becoming more uh, crossover into traditional pop or what is popular. And I, I think on the business side, it means that there's a lot of opportunities being opened because it means that dance labels are now collaborating with major labels or more uh, influenced and involved with traditional radio. So it's all moving in a great trend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And uh, we will talk about the business side, about the income streams a bit later, but uh, a topic related to the record label's uh, distribution. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the specifics of uh, digital distribution in the dance and electronic music sphere? So uh, there are some digital uh, stores that are specifically working with dance music. Um... Of course, the, the trend throughout music industry has been that iTunes has become the power player with a focus on digital downloads. And in the past decade, there's been a company, which you all know, surely, Beatport, which has been able to monopolize pretty much the, the functionality that iTunes fulfills for typical music, but then specifically for dance. Um, that means that artists are being made and broken there and that most of the dance labels focus on distributing there more than anywhere else because the charts are indicative of what's going to get played at the big festivals and it gives you a, a broad exposure to people who are still very much focused on dance and in the terms of, of distribution this means for, for record labels, specifically independents, that there's a quite low barrier of entry because you just need to get your music onto Beatport or iTunes with a digital distributor that could be ranging from a small company you team up with who is somewhere in your local town to going to a big online player like TuneCore just to get your stuff on there, which is all very simple. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, uh, some, of, some of the artists, I, I've noticed two kinds of misconceptions about distribution. Some artists, some electronic music producers think that uh, just getting uh, music on Beatports is enough to uh, get in some recognition, which is of course not true when you appear on stores it's just uh, there but without promotion no one will actually care and uh, notice that's uh, music most probably and uh, some uh, artists are uh, not uh, sure about getting their music there and i think for any genre or, or subgenre of electronic music it's crucial to be on these platforms just so other people can discover you after maybe after hearing you uh, playing a live DJ set somewhere or just hearing your name somewhere and uh, can you add anything about streaming services maybe? Yeah definitely. Firstly to come back to what you just said I, I absolutely agree I think it's essential for musicians that they build a catalog online at the stores where they um, where people would typically search to buy stuff so whether that's Beatport or iTunes and then looking at streaming, whether it's Spotify or Pandora or whatever, just make sure that your content is out there. But nothing is going to happen unless you actually pull attention to, to what you're doing and then lead that through to the stores. It's not enough just being on there. Mm -hmm. um, I think what, what streaming has done is it's a huge trend in the industry with numbers who are going up and up and up, but still financially it's not paying enough. But what it has done is it's made it so easy to access music. I mean, you don't even have to put in the effort to download a track. You can simply search for something and just listen to it live, right? Whether it's Spotify or whatever other service you're using. And I think coming back on the previous point, that it's essential... Well, wait, look at it this way. For, for every person in my generation, especially and, and younger ones to come, 
I think that everyone now who is who is familiar with using the internet and uses it daily is going to go to either YouTube or SoundCloud if you're into electronic music to listen to music, perhaps buy on iTunes and perhaps stream on Spotify. And that means as a musician, you have to make sure that you're available there on those platforms because people are so spoiled that they're not going to put in more than the initial effort to look on those platforms. Probably not even look further than the one they're most used to. So if you're a YouTube user and you discovered an artist or saw a set by him or whatever, you can't find his stuff on YouTube. You'll be like, oh, whatever, let it be. Or same goes for Spotify. And I think for labels, therefore, it's really essential to make sure that if you're distributing, and even for independent artists who are doing it themselves, that you get your stuff out there on all those channels. And uh, one more thing to add about the stores. Uh, so for this uh, recipe box thing that I did recently, I interviewed uh, James Forrest from uh, Juno Downloads, and uh, he shared a couple interesting points that Bitport, uh, which is the number one player in, in, in this market, was more focused on uh, on on some uh, what is commonly called uh, underground genres like uh, subgenres of house music and so on and right now they uh, switched their focus to the EDM sound to the more commercial and mainstream while uh, stores like Tuna uh, still focus a lot on uh, on on the on the more underground uh, subgenres so if you produce music which is not necessarily EDM and I kind of hate keeping to name uh, this music EDM because I mean I don't mind the title but it's so broad <laughs> but anyway so uh, you may think carefully about where you release your music exclusively for example have you noticed anything like that about the uh, stores uh, and uh, genres and how uh, what works uh, best on on a specific store maybe Yeah, um, so I, I think he's definitely right that Beatport has now become very much focused, especially in their charts, on the more commercial styles of dance music. So that is that is typically going to be electro-progressive house, a dash of trance, and a lot of mainstream dubstep. And the thing is, because they have the, the monopoly position, they've actually been able to influence genres in the way people categorize specific types of music to specific genres, simply because they haven't updated their genre list for a long time. So a lot of what used to be um, electro has kind of gone to progressive, and everything is overlapping. I think that there's definitely a lot more stores who are focusing on more niche sounds, And there's a lot of stores also which focus on vinyl, just vinyl, for example. And I think it may be a very good way to reach the long tail, so the small amount of people are very much focused on the underground niche. But if you're really going for success, then what you need to do is get some exposure on the places where there's a lot more listeners, for example, on Beatport. And the way you do that is by getting uh, featured on there with a banner or with the artwork on one of the genre pages. And that's usually in collaboration with an actual distributor. So not using an online aggregator, but having a group of people at your distributor you can work with to get that exposure. Because, sure, you could get some exposure on Juno or another store which is more focused on the niche. But if it's just going to give you validation there, it's never going to count for, for a lot. If you go to a bigger party or a promoter or whatever, trying to get gigs, and you say, listen, I've got the number one spot on Juno, and they're like, what's Juno? 
that's the reality you have to work with. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, promoters. I, I noticed that promoters tend to pay attention to, always pay attention to the number one uh, place in, in any markets. Uh, they look at the number of Facebook likes uh, and uh, the maybe even the amount of uh, your SoundCloud plays doesn't matter that much. Also, I oftentimes receive some... Uh, some pitches uh, for electronic artists and they include screenshots of SoundCloud. Uh, yeah. So SoundCloud definitely gets this uh, wide recognition and in electronic music, which is also very important to, to understand. No matter what genre you are, you, you have to be on SoundCloud. And it, yeah. I'm not necessarily promoting your book right now, but it's, it's true. So I'm personally a fan of SoundCloud and uh, it, it's basically truth that you have to do that. Okay, anyway, so... Uh, we pretty much covered this uh, question. Uh, I would love to talk about this more, but we have a number of other topics to cover. So uh, shifting to other income streams, because uh, selling music still doesn't bring uh, a ton of money. And correct me if I'm wrong, I mean, from uh, your experience as, as a label owner. And uh, what is... Uh, another uh, income stream for you and uh, th that, that is uh, even more important. I know from your latest article that you pay a lot of attention to licensing. So this is what I wanted to ask you about. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're right. With all the things going on in the music industry, people are just not used to paying for music anymore. So even if you come up with the most interesting way to get them to do it, whether it's streaming or a small amount for downloads or pay what you want, it's just not going to be enough to make a living unless you're among the top-tier selling artists. Mm -hmm. And if there's something I discovered for, from being in the industry for the time that I have now, it is that the money is both in the rights, so intellectual property, and on the other hand, uh, in events. Uh, specifically events, if you look at financial streams for the industry, they're like percentage-wise. Just the amount of money going going through that is going up and up and up. Mm -hmm. And I think as a as a label, what we're trying to do with this is we have we have two assets, right? On the one side, we have a catalog of music which we're building up and getting more and more music, all of which is qualitatively great, or at least we like to think so. And then on the other hand, we have a roster of these super talented artists. We're all making their different styles of music, um, and are, are super creative. And these are both things that we try to leverage in terms of uh, exploiting rights. So, for example, what we try to do is we work together with a number of publishers and advertising agencies. On the one hand, to get our existing music behind video clips, uh, pieces of a movie, commercials, that kind of stuff. And on the other hand, by using the roster of artists that we have to create custom music for, uh, for assignments. So... We have relationships who would come to us with a video clip of 30 seconds of a movie saying, listen, we need music for this with this type of atmosphere. Could you, could you deliver this? And I ask a few of our guys and we, we pitch for it. And that's a great way to generate income, whether it's a flat fee you get for the single synchronization and recurring royalties later if it's used publicly, if you cut a good deal. Uh, let me ask you a question. So right now it sounds, first of all, it's really useful information and very interesting, but it may sound like it's uh, 
sort of easy to get uh, a licensing deal and uh, I know it's not quite so just so the listeners uh, don't get this assumption that it's super easy that someone from uh, from a movie company like a supervisor will come to you and ask for for the music uh, and especially in the latest years, and I've been recently talking to some supervisors and uh, they all say that uh, it's getting more and more difficult uh, these these uh, days because of the amount of people entering the market and offering their uh, services, their music for, for cheap. So for, for projects, it's very easy to find uh, quality, high quality music for the very affordable sums of money. So uh, can you talk about how uh, realistically... Yeah, 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 sure. Definitely, you're right. There's a lot of supply here, which makes this, which make this quite difficult. And perhaps I'm in a luxurious position because I'm the guy who has a lot of artists in a big catalog, instead of being a single artist promoting just his own capabilities. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunities, though, because you have a lot of online sync agencies. Uh, look at audio pump music dealers. Um, there's a, there's a lot more of them, and basically you can place your catalog there, and if you get a good relationship going with your licensing agent, and you prove that you can deliver quick, if you finally get an opportunity to do a sync, and you deliver, then they're definitely going to come back for more. Mm -hmm. I think the best way to improve your odds if you want to do this is to spread your chances, so work together with a lot of agencies, most of whom have non-exclusive license agreements, and to deliver over-deliver whenever you actually get the opportunity to do stuff. I mean, it might even be a good idea to remind your sync guy that you really want to work or do a custom pitch or whatever for, for, for free, even just to get your foot in the door. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I want to emphasize what you mentioned about non-exclusive rights, like be very careful when sign up to a service and there is a number of very popular services that offer this uh, feature of uh, trying to place your music somewhere and make sure that it's a non-exclusive because you may get into trouble and it's just uh, it's, it's by default uh, it's a bad deal if it's an exclusive unless it's a really kind of big licensing company and so yeah I guess you agree but if you have anything to add here let me know no definitely I think that's really important because if you if you look at the money stuff and that intellectual property and your rights are the thing you can earn the most money on, then the last thing you want to do is lock it down with someone of whom you're unsure they're going to work for you to generate money and still give their, your rights away to them exclusively. But luckily, a lot of these parties actually don't do that. Mm -hmm. And I can give you another recommendation. That would be to look for local sync or advertising agencies and actually reaching out to them and seeing if you could get a physical appointment. Because... Just like in any other industry and whatever aspect of the music industry, the thing that is going to lead to most opportunities is having a good relationship with the people who could offer those opportunities. You know, if they look at you as a nice guy who's doing great things, then they're going to be quicker to call you than the guy who probably makes better music, but that they know just by email. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, and I just remember that uh, at the very beginning uh, of, of this uh, uh, conversation, your answer was about uh, licensing and touring. So can we talk about touring a little bit? And uh, it's also a very interesting topic because uh, we are talking here about DJs and mm -hmm. about producers doing live sets. Most of the mm -hmm. times, 
these are not bands, not even duos. Uh, and uh, a lot of people think it's way easier and it's actually easier for, for them to talk, but uh, it's, it's not that simple. So what do you think about this? I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity in events and playing and gigging because if, if you're in electronic dance music, then the amount of festivals and events which have been, which have been hosted in the past years have just been going up every single year. I think here in the Netherlands, we've settled last year on a record of 2,000 festivals in a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so there's there's more opportunity there than ever, but opposed to that is there's more supply than ever. And I think there's a big misconception which I see with artists and booking agents and all the people in this industry, and that is that they think that they could build a career based on doing events. So if you're if you're not getting traction on YouTube and on SoundCloud and whatever, then sure you could try really hard to convince promoters to get you to play and perhaps start building an audience a bit by doing that. But it's never going to give you the exposure and traction that you need in order to establish a long-term career. To do that, you need to get a hit. Mm -hmm. And, whether, and yeah, so, so go on. Yeah, whether it, whether it's it's something mainstream or in your niche. I mean, if you get broad recognition, whether it's in a subgenre like breakbeat, if you if you get a track with a hundred thousand plays on breakbeat, then that is on the one side the convincing material you need to go to promoters hosting breakbeat and drum and bass parties to get you booked. And on the other hand, it's going to give you an exposure to your niche group audience um, that's going to have more traction in the long run, by my experience, than being able to play somewhere. Because if you're the unknown DJ and you're, played, you're placed at an early slot at a night at 11 o'clock and there's 50 people there, then perhaps you'll have two guys saying, listen, I absolutely love what you're doing. Can I get your card or what's your name or whatever? Are you on YouTube? Mm. But if you're at that early stage, I highly recommend that you, you focus your efforts on getting that initial traction and then backing it up once you have the momentum by getting gigs. Something that I just thought about is that uh, the process of building your music career can be slightly different depending on your current goals. And so of course, you may want to move into several directions at the same time. But if you want uh, just to focus on licensing, for example, it doesn't matter that much how many plates you have on YouTube. Absolutely. And uh, it's also about uh, connections and about the quality music that is suitable for using and in specific commercial projects and uh, being able to deliver what the clients want. And if you want to develop these direct-to-fan relationship when you want to sell premium products to your uh, loyal fans, uh, and it's, it's, it's important. If you have a viral video, it, it gets you more chances to get more subscribers, for example. But the engagement level of your audience is way more important than the numbers. But when it comes down to getting gigs and uh, this is, I think, true for every uh, genre. The numbers do matter. So it's important to, that you can show something, that you've been uh, number one somewhere, that you had these many thousands of listens of place and so on. So you need to think about this. It doesn't mean that you need to pay someone to buy fake uh, listens, uh, of course, but uh, 
it's it's really interesting that you uh, focus on, on on these things depending on on what you uh, try to achieve many artists think that, that all they need is just the number of a uh, big number of plays and so on but i mean do you have anything to it here yeah um i think you're absolutely right if you're focused on being um like a creative artist for making sample packs and doing licensing stuff for videos and commercials, then what you need to focus on is not getting those plays, but building a, a, like a portfolio of stuff that you've done previously and building your network in that particular area of our industry. And that is something completely different from trying to get shows and becoming a, a known DJ. And I think if you're trying to do that, then definitely don't buy likes and followers and etc. Because it's just inflated bullshit. Excuse my French. Um, but I think that you need to establish some sort of traction in the numbers, definitely. So get it on YouTube, SoundCloud, whatever, and, and get that core group of people going who are really excited about you. And that will give you what you need to score some gigs. And once you get those gigs, you just need to over-deliver. So you play a killer set, you're super nice to everyone, you build your network, you stay for a while, have a talk, you make sure that you do everything correctly, and that's going to build goodwill, and then if you really deliver, then people are going to come back for more, or you're going to be able to get them to come back for more. Yeah, yeah, and we're switching back and forth between the topics, but going uh, going back to the touring once again, uh, th what do you think about these, uh, once again, misconception that uh, being a DJ is uh, super uh, affordable and easy and bringing a DJ is, uh, is, is super affordable? It's... Uh, I, I want to say right away that, uh, like about my point, is that it's true for the new genres and for small parties, but what about the big mainstream acts who have these huge setups like pop stars? And, yeah. And so what, what, what do you think about this? That's a totally different ballgame. If you're just a DJ who is either playing with CDJs, you're just bringing a USB stick, right? Or you're playing a live set, so you'll have two controllers and perhaps a keyboard with you and your laptop, that's still going to be easy and not a lot of expenses. But if you're going to be looking at production, so that could be as a DJ having four LED screens with a stand and a, a glowing mask like that mouse has, or if you look at a traditional band, if you're a five-piece band who's bringing all of their own gear and has a specific stage setup, then for that you are going to need either a big tour bus you're going to need people to help you move all that stuff. You are probably going to need a tour manager to help you coordinate and making sure that everything is set up for the shows. So on that ballgame, you're really looking at a heavy investment for being able to do tours. And sometimes it even happens that major labels are, are cutting in the expenses for allowing the artist to tour to promote their release into the deal so that it's part of, uh, part of um, the money that they get back from royalties. And then, if you're, if you're really having such an expensive show, then you either have a lot of money at hand already, or you're going to need a financer to be able to do that for you. But on the, on the lucky side, if you're just a DJ playing great sets on CDJs or controllers, then really all you need is that, get your travel expenses covered, get a booking fee, and get someone to make sure that all logistics are covered. Right, right. Uh, DJs can now... Uh play vinyl, it's getting more more and more rare. Uh, they can play CDs, they can uh, 
uh, take their laptop and Serato or Final Stretch or something like that. And uh, there is a number of uh, new tools appearing on the market. So we're not going to talk about the tech stuff a lot, but just personally, what kind of format do you prefer for a DJ, not for a live performance, but uh, specifically for a DJ set? Honestly, I I have no preference. To me, what I have, yeah, what matters what matters most to me is what you're able to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that holds as true for DJ equipment as it does for production equipment and whatever, because only what you deliver matters to me. And I think anyone who's complaining, saying vinyl is more credible or whatever, than the guy with CDJs, well, perhaps there's a guy with no experience playing with vinyl because he thinks it's credible, and there's this guy with 10,000 of hours behind the decks playing CDJs who delivers a killer set. So what's more credible then? I'm a, I'm a super nerd. And I'm, I'm proud of that. So I think if you look at controllers and MIDI stuff and even time-coded vinyl, then technology is really enabling us to push the boundaries of what you can do creatively. So if you look at it in terms of what you're able to deliver, then I think your, your, your maximum potential is probably going to be highest if you use a live setup being it's controllers plus a keyboard plus a laptop plus Ableton Live because it simply gives you more freedom to move than it does with CDJs and a mixer. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you, the listener, is in the note company here because I love technology and innovation and uh, you really don't have to stick to the uh, old formats because... uh, Bringing innovation to your performance is very important uh, for for being noticed as well. So mm-hmm. and uh, everyone is doing uh, a mix of uh, life and DJ sets and uh, some complicated things. But if you really can come up with something unique, you may get better chances of getting booked because you are doing something unusual and people may True. come to mm-hmm. to check uh, your stuff out. Also, yeah, I'm, I'm actually a fan of vinyls, but uh, mm. with, I mean, with uh, a thing like Serato, it's all sold. So playing MV3s on vinyls is a great compromise for me. Yeah. Uh, Interesting fact, by the way. Um, I think it was um, Nielsen who just delivered their, their numbers on music industry in like uh, the past quarters of 2013. And vinyl sales have gone up for 35% in the last year. I've seen this, but uh, my pers- yeah. my personal take on this is that uh, when everyone, like the marketers, talk about the rise of vinyl sales, uh, th- it's once again these uh, two uh, uh, like industries, the electronic music, where vinyl is uh, like this sta- has been the standard for many years because DJs has been. Uh, have been buying vinyls to play in their sets and there is a traditional music industry where vinyl is a premium product you are a fan of ACDC and you buy a vinyl pack of of, of the band and uh, what do this uh, what what does this increase indicate that more people buy premium products like fans of traditional uh, genres or actually people like DJs start to buy more vinyls? Because I think that uh, the, there is a decrease, constant decrease of vinyl sales in electronic music and increase in uh, these kind of premium products. Well, What's your take on it? Well, I think, I think overall, people are still always going to value a physical product over a digital product simply because it's tangible. If you're really a fan of something, then what is cooler than holding in your hands a fucking limited edition vinyl set? 
Um, but I think in terms of ease, the digital is definitely taking over. But then if you look at the numbers, then last year, so the number, the total number of downloads have actually not increased, whereas vinyl sales have increased drastically, whereas album sales have gone down. Mm-hmm. And I think single sales have gone up. Yeah. And so, so I think what all these trends are indicating is that vinyl is really an authentic medium, right? And people are going to appreciate that more than having a CD. I mean, what is cooler than having a limited edition vinyl? Um, but what it also means, if you look at the album and the single stuff, is people are just going to pick out the best tracks on the record and stick with those and let the other stuff just lie there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that the uh, increasing popularity of, of streaming services also plays some role here. And uh, also, yeah, it's it's about sales. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, interesting point on that. Uh, something, well, not, okay, it's not really related, but uh, something that I, I wanted to bring up is uh, the fact that an electronic music producer uh, has this advantage, oftentimes not realizing this, that uh, a, a producer can deliver more music or uh, deliver music more often than uh, than a rock band, for example. So, what do you think on uh, this uh, thing that a electronic music producer can deliver more often and that this way engage uh, the audience uh, better because uh, a producer can deliver on a constant basis? And, yeah. uh, and about how much time does it take to actually create a track uh, on, on, on average, let's say? I think there's, there's two, two parts to this answer. Um, so surely the, um, the, the time investment you have to make into recording something, if it's acoustic, it's just going to be bigger. I'm, I'm, this, is, this is besides the creative process. I mean, if you're a four-piece band, you need to get four people together find a place to get all your instruments, find a place to record it. Once you have a good track, you have it down, you need to go to a proper studio, record it there, still get it mixed and mastered, and that's when you'll have a final product you could be satisfied with. Whereas for a producer, and specifically a bedroom producer, you can fire up Ableton with all your VSTs and do your creative process, and then theoretically even mix and master it yourself and you'll have a final product. And what's likely going to happen you send it to an external mixing or mastering guy, or for the bigger or richer electronic music artists, they're going to do this creative process in a studio with analog equipment. But I think the amount of like resources you need to create a product is simply less. So yeah, it could be quicker. I think of in terms of what is necessary in terms of uh, delivery, like how, how much content you need to produce. I think for whatever type of music, you now need to create more content than ever because the supply is bigger than ever. So it's more important to stay and push content to your audience to not get snowed under by all the other stuff. And this is probably more true for electronic music than for other music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So nothing to add here. Going forward with the topic of content creation, and uh, you are definitely a pro and expert uh, in this topic, uh, especially since you wrote uh, a book on, on SoundCloud. What can you say about uh, the different uh, mediums and different uh, content formats that uh, an electronic music producer can utilize? So a lot of artists, 
basically just focus on delivering uh, musical content, but mm-hmm. it is very important to also deliver texts, uh, visuals, like images and, uh, and video. Can you comment on this, so not from a musical standpoint, but from no, okay. yeah, talking sure. about the different mediums? I think two things are important, and that's audio and that is visual. And I think as a musician or an artist now that both are absolutely important because listening is one thing, but you add a whole another dimension if you're able to do visual stuff. And you'll be much, much sooner to convert someone to a true fan of yours if they're able to see you and identify with the person that you are. And what you see, let's take Dylan Francis, for example, uh, a guy who makes bass music, who is with, uh, let me think, I think Mad Decent. And he is, he is dropping the, the biggest content in terms of audio, and he backs that up with a, a total video thing. So he's producing stuff on YouTube. He's very active on Vine and other platforms. And that has been able to, to really expand his reach because he grabs fans from the audio thing, but then also he's just a genuinely funny guy. So he gets fans attracted to him by being the, the popular online persona uh, as an EDM producer. So what that boils down to is I think artists should really focus on generating quality music, backing that up by video content and giving people a perspective into their own lives, and then making sure they have a method in place to capture all of that traffic. So get that onto an email list, get that onto a website, make sure these people download your stuff, you have a website up with a web shop and that kind of stuff. And that then once you have that set up, that you focus on looking at different ways to reach new audiences. So whether it's stepping into a new social media like Vine, um, or running a Tumblr blog, or being super good at Twitter, whatever works for you. Yeah, brilliant. And uh, this uh, reminded me on another topic. Maybe you'll have something to comment here. Uh, generally, when uh, I... Uh, check uh, profiles, online profiles of uh, a lot of musicians in any genres. I uh, often feel frustrated about the quality of uh, of representation of the brands online, like awful graphics, no logotype, uh, really, really bad visuals. And these artists, a lot of the times, they are fine with that. They are kind of they don't want to invest into designer. They like what they created in uh, in. Uh, paints or whatever, just maybe they hired uh, someone on on Elance, but uh, it's it's just purely bad and uh, websites, social media, it's generally, I think that uh, the quality of uh, brand representations of independent musicians is is very bad online, but when Mm -hmm. it's... When it comes to electronic music producers, it's also bad generally, but it's better than in other uh, genres. And uh, more and more producers and DJs start to care about uh, about the visuals. And uh, I guess it has a lot to do with uh, with technology because producers are oftentimes geeks and uh, they care about different uh, things and related to uh, well, just all things online and. Uh, and art in terms of uh, the graphic design and motion video and and so on, uh, but uh, it's it's still interesting that uh, electronic music producers tend to uh, care about the visuals more. Have you noticed this yourself? Yeah, 
Well, I, I firstly, I totally agree with you uh, getting frustrated at how poorly people can represent themselves. Um, I think electronic music artists are more inclined to have better visuals because they're typically more technical, so they have a better understanding of Photoshop, where to get good images, that kind of stuff. I think the reason why people are so poorly represented is because a lot of them firstly don't realize how essential it is to have the full package laid down. I mean, personally, if your music is great and I'm considering to approach you for my label or for management or whatever purpose, and I go to your, your Facebook and I see you haven't posted any content or you just lazily pasted down links, you have bad artwork and don't have a website, then from a managerial label perspective, I'm like, okay, he doesn't have his stuff together, never mind. Um, simply because artists think that it'll be enough just to provide the music. And I think coming back to that is that now with the, the insane amount of supply, and I'll quote something from the Bob Lefsetz newsletter, for all of you who don't know that, you should really subscribe. If you want to know stuff about music industry, he's a great writer. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And... He just said this recently, and that is just because we're getting bombarded by content, that even though the barriers for making music and getting getting out there are lower, more now than ever, we only have room for a few great artists, and they're going to be able to get bigger than ever, instead of having more room for more artists who are all going to be equally big. I think because there's so much great stuff, we don't want an album that will play twice. We want one track that will play 200 times. And people are really impatient and spoiled. So if you get their attention with your content and they are inclined to look further for your website, your YouTube, your next song, whatever, make sure that it's top-notch. Because otherwise, they're going to click away and never pay any attention to you anymore. And uh, this also leads uh, to, to this thought that the more... Uh impatience listeners become the more persistence you have to be because it this what you just mentioned it's absolutely true and it doesn't mean that you need to quit music right away you just need uh like to in improve quality of everything that you deliver the the musical side just as the visual like how your brand is represented the content that you create and being persistent and delivering because people want to follow those artists who won't uh, disappear in a month, they want to look that uh, this person is or artist is for real and uh, keeps delivering interesting content. So basically, it just means that everyone needs to be more persistent in, in, in what they do. Uh, if you have anything to add about this or if you want to bring up any other topic, let me know. No, I, I think you are, you are absolutely right. The only key, I, I wrote about this in an earlier article of mine about realizations from the music industry, and that is, I think, first and foremost, if you want to make it, you need to realize that it's a marathon, not a sprint. You just need to improve on every level and create a lot of content, and because of all the opportunities that are being created, it's more important than ever that you just make sure that you keep going and that you capitalize on every opportunity you get and keep working and working and working and realize that you're not going to make it big by just putting in minimum effort. Because even if you're super talented, but not putting in 40 hours a week, there's going to be a guy who's less talented, but putting in 60 hours a week for 10 years straight. And then at the end of the line, look at who's going to make it. It's going to be him. 
I was just reading an article about the manager of Lady Gaga. Yeah, I just read and, it uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, super interesting. But but to to come back to this point and to prove it is that before he signed Lady Gaga, she had just been dropped by Def Jam Record Records after being signed there and developed for seven years straight, and she hadn't achieved anything. Yeah. And she's gone on to become one of the most successful artists in our time. So, yeah. Something that I mentioned in the in uh, the first issue of, of this podcast with with Tommy Daka, that's uh, there is there is no such thing as overnight success. It all takes time. No matter what we see on uh, on media about the uh, artists who seem to become big just overnight. It, it it really doesn't happen like that. It takes uh, a lot of time to to work on your project and to develop it, and uh, yeah. So these these advice is brilliant. And by the way, I I am uh, linking to this article of yours in the show notes. So uh, everyone listening to to uh, this uh, podcast uh, has to check uh, your articles because you write really in depth uh, stuff. So I highly recommend this. Uh, anything else uh, you may want to add uh, for for the listener, and maybe some tips for the uh, for this year for this year to uh, achieve bigger success with their projects? <laughs> um, well, firstly, as a shameless plug, I would I would definitely recommend all of you get on SoundCloud because every artist needs to be there now. And if you're interested in using it correctly, then there's a few articles of mine up there who could teach you how to do that properly. And if that really gets your attention, then consider getting my book. Um, there's a lot of other stuff on my on my blog as well, which you can use, covering stuff from getting on YouTube blogs, such as Majestic Casual and that kind of stuff, to um, uh, covering digital distribution or how to get your first gigs. And I would recommend you sign up to the Bob Lefsetz newsletter, as that is absolutely essential information. And as a reading recommendation, um, there's one book which covers basically everything about the music business that you need to get a foundation in, and that is All You Need to Know About the Music Business by Donald Passman. Um, for all of you who are really serious to make it, you should pick that up and read it. Also, uh, if you if you don't mind, uh, uh, I, I, I want to add about that book. So uh, it's it's great. But always keep in mind that some of this stuff is for the major label artists. So not everything, but uh, some of this stuff is not maybe fully applicable to indie uh, indies. Or, or you won't agree with me? No, you, you definitely agree. But if even if you're even if you're uh, an electronic artist and you're focused on indie labels, this will give you an understanding of how the industry works. So even if you're playing on a different paradigm, if you understand. Uh, the rules of the game that you can better uh, beat them, if you know what I mean. Right, right, right. That's that's a great advice. And uh, well, you can find all the links uh, to, to of, of the articles and resources that you mentioned in the show notes, and as well as as links to your uh, social media profiles. I really thank you for being on this show. It was uh, an insightful talk, and uh, hope everyone enjoyed this interview. Thank you for having me, Andrew. Pleasure as always. You have been listening to the We Spin Recipes podcast. Learn how we can help you improve your music career at wespin12.com. We spin